Hey, folks. Uh, it's Doug Thornell. I'm joined by my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod. How you doing, Adrian? I'm great. Thanks. Well, we are really lucky to have Tony Kark with us today. Tony's the founder of Churchio um, Research Communications and Strategy. Uh, if you've worked in campaign politics or worked on the Hill, you have worked with Tony. Uh, he's an expert in research and strategic communications. He worked on the Barack Obama 2012 debate prep team. He was the research director and a, a top advisor on the Hillary Clinton campaign in 2016. He has worked at the Center for American Progress. Um, he was uh, he, he's worked at the advocacy group Protect Our Care to protect the Affordable Care Act. So. Tony's been um, in a lot of different fights. Uh, we, we both, uh, Adrian and I, have worked with him, Adrian, directly on the Clinton campaign and myself, uh, you know, while when I was on the Hill. Uh, and we're really happy to have you. And we, we want to just really kind of dig in on, um, in, re- on in the research component of campaigns, opposition research. The reason why I think we brought up the, the, the Biden piece is that it was put that was pushed by um, Credo. Um, mm-hmm. They were the first people to sort of flag mm-hmm. some of these passages to reporters. And, Dad, uh, can you talk a little bit about Credo and why it's relevant that – Well, Credo is a, a very progressive uh, organization that I, I don't know if they have endorsed Bernie Sanders, but they are certainly sort of aligning to the farther left part of the party. Uh, I think they felt as though um, – Biden's proposals didn't go far enough on climate change. And so this was a way to uh, trip them up a little bit. Um, that I, I think that's sort of probably why they did this. Um, mm-hmm. But, Tony, um, first of all, thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks, Tony. Um, talk to us about setting up a research operation in a campaign uh, and tell our listeners really what the point of a research operation is. So... Right. So I think the concept of the research department, if you're outside of a campaign, I think you have a certain image of just like like if you're in college doing research, and that's not necessarily what we're doing. We are basically, the research department is the keeper of the content and all of the publicly available information on your candidate that you're working for and your opponents. And the job is to make sure that you know as much as can possibly be known, number one, for your own candidate, so that any attack that's going to eventually come your way, that you're ready and you can be prepared for it, but also to know how to contrast with your opponent, because that's ultimately what elections are about, is contrasting between candidates. So it's a very fact-based. Everything we're doing in the research department is what can we prove what you know what were the earlier statements what were the earlier votes what um what has the candidate done where where have they taken money from um you know what legislation did they sponsor did it get passed like trying to put together the narrative that will ultimately you know i think of the research department as a servicing department you know, you help the communications team a lot with the content that they're doing, but you're also helping, like, the media firms. You're also helping polling. You're also helping uh, finance uh, just to um, make sure that they know what the facts are. And you're also the last stop before any content comes out of a campaign. Mm-hmm. It goes through the research department to just make sure it gets a fact check that you don't want to put out anything that's um, um, not true. So, Tony, you were Hillary Clinton's research director in 2016. Tell us, tell our listeners how you decided, you know, how you built your team, 
how many people you, you know, grew your team, you, how many you started with at the beginning yeah. toward the end. I mean, the research department on our, on our campaign was huge. I know that for a fact. But how did you scale <laughs> appropriately? How did you divide the work? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the research is, is the most, to me, the most fundamental component of a campaign. Well, thank you. But at the same time, it is oftentimes <laughs> the, like, least talked about or the least visible, even though it's involved in every facet of a campaign operation. So can you sort of talk about how you put together your research department and how you sort of, you know, divided your staff into certain areas of jurisdiction? Sure. So it obviously each campaign is going to have a different um, type of research department. Um in particular, for candidates that have a long public record, you know that that obviously increases the need to have a vast, uh, like a pretty robust team, and it's something that you want to invest in early. Like I always think that having a research department close to fully staffed is one of those things that you need to do probably in the first quarter of a campaign because there's just so much content that you have to get through. You, there's just, you're going to, you're... And when you say content to get through, what do you mean? The the, the record, just knowing... The so candidate's for, record. The candidate, so for example, you know, Hillary Clinton had 40 years of public service under her belt um, by the time she ran for Lots president. Lots of votes so, in the Senate. Yeah, we, uh, she had her Senate record. She had her first lady record. She had just being a lawyer down in Arkansas, mm-hmm. being the first lady of Arkansas, her Secretary of State record, and you need, you know, we had the luxury of having. I mean, she ran in 2008, so a lot of the, some of this was done in 2008. We could build upon that, but there, but everything is new again. Like things that weren't necessarily an issue like 10 years ago, or suddenly become an issue, you know, this time around. So, like for a candidate like Joe Biden and others that have a long public record like having a really robust team is vitally important and it's just it can just seem so overwhelming because there's just so much to do it's like how do you split that up and the way um we did it on the clinton campaign is we basically divided her life into um, you know different eras so Mm -hmm. and i had a team of a few people kind of focusing on those different aspects of her life to make sure that we have all of the 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 votes, the legislation, the money, the memos, anything that we could get our hands anything on. Anything that was public facing. Anything that was public facing, and you know, um, but in addition to that, so you have people that are really focusing and kind of becoming experts on certain aspects of her record. But at the same time, you need to have kind of like the nimble force of the research team that can be rapid, like responding to requests. So you can't, you know, you don't want to have one person, it's just all falling on one person's shoulder. So you got to figure out how you can like spread that out so that there's enough people that can kind of kind of chip in and help out when when these um, moments arise and it's not just falling onto one or two people. So it just, you just really need so, like strong leaders. Like I had really strong deputies and I had strong mm-hmm. um, like leads that could help me manage. It's a big management uh, um enterprise like doing if you're doing the research department doing it well like we during the primary we were probably like around 30 some on folks and then yes by the end of the general election combined with the dnc staff that that we got like it was almost double that it was like 60 to 65 people in the in the research department so um yeah it's it's really it's a it's a really big part of the campaign and it is one of the building blocks like you can't really some of the stuff that gets done can't be done without the foundational level of um, of the research department. And and just for context, 
one of the, I mean, just for our listeners to understand how much information is out there, and even if for, for people who don't have the historical, you know, public life and public service that Hillary Clinton had or, you know, the voting rec- record that she had, one of the things that I know we had to deal with on the campaign was a woman by the name of Diane Blair, who was one of Hillary Clinton's best yeah. friends when she lived in Arkansas, who was also a prof- law professor at the University of Arkansas, um, you know, heralded. There's a, you know, Diane Blair Center at the University of Arkansas named after her. Um, and and there's, there are archives in her name. And as part of those archives, she, um, I guess, had stated in her will that she would, would provide her diaries to mm-hmm. the archives. So basically we had research staff who were pouring through all of the diaries and coming up with new information that at least, you know, Diane Blair claimed to have, you know, had the conversations she had with Hillary that then became fodder mm-hmm. for our opponents right. and certainly for, for people on the right. So, I mean, that's that's the magnitude of information that you have to come through. Well, there's also, um, for example, I think there, the University of Virginia, if I remember correctly, but there was the Clinton administration had, there was like an oral history and there were a lot of people that would just give interviews and they would be housed in, in, in the university library. And, you know, it's talking about the Clinton administration, of which Hillary was a big part, so you just need to know all of that stuff. Because you're, if you don't know it, then you've got to assume that somebody no else, else is finding out, and then they could use that against and you. And if we don't know it, you can't assume that someone else on the campaign does. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is, to to your earlier discussion, you know, a big part of our job is to kind of surface the vulnerabilities internally, so that we so that we're aware of what is out there or available that could be used as an attack on the candidate, you know, because you know your opponent, that's the job of, of your opponents. They're doing the same thing, and you need to know what they know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's, you, right, it's just, there's just a vast amount of information. And, and there's also, then it just is a matter of, like, the campaign day-to-day. So something that could happen today, like if you're talking about Joe Biden's um, climate change uh and the sourcing mm-hmm. like that's obviously brings up something from 30 years ago there could have been there could be something in a, a month or something where a candidate says something that can hark you know you could be thinking about something that happened like 25 30 years ago and then suddenly that becomes relevant again where you think you oh this is so far right that. you need to be yeah. prepared for that because you'd be thinking oh that's you know that's a long time ago people don't care about it but it's you can't really record. tell people what they're going to care about or not. They're going to care about what they want to care about. Exactly. <laughs> right. So we've talked a lot about self-research. Mm-hmm. That's the research into the candidate that we work for. Right. Talk to us about opposition research. So I always think of it as two sides of the same coin. You're basically running the same process on yourself as you do your opponents. So you're looking at um, publicly available information, of which there's a lot. I think most people are kind of unaware of how much is out there. Um, and where the, do you go? And just just so yeah. look, where where are the places that you go to to find this information? Well, so for example, your voting record. Not if you're not in Congress. I'm just talking about. Did you actually vote in an election? Like that's right. public. You know that that's mm-hmm. that's available at the not Secretary of State. Not who you voted State. for. Not who you voted for. But did you vote or did, did you or vote? did you not? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to. As a candidate, you have to file a personal financial disclosure form and kind of list in broad, you know, broad ranges what you're invested in, what boards you sit on. All of that is 
you know, out there for the public to see. Like, it depends on what office you're running for. You know, sometimes you have to take a couple extra steps to get that information versus when you run for president, pretty much once you file, it becomes public for all to see. But then you've got to, you kind of have to vet that against, okay, so you're invested in this fund. Did you do, did you sponsor a bill that people could say, Oh, that's helping, you know, that's helping you out with your personal investments. Are you, you know, are you sitting on a board and you're also getting large amounts of donations from, the, you know, we kind of put those pieces together um, to, to, we're trying to paint a picture of who you are versus who you're running against. And obviously you want to put your candidate in the best light and your opponent in the most negative light. So you're trying to find those big areas where they're, where they're contrasting to, to show um, and that's how, and that's how you drive your message. It's one of the ways you drive your message. In 2016, did you guys have books on all of the Republicans running, or partial books, top lines? Top lines is a term, you know, a sort of a partial, um, high level book. Do you remember? Well, so the the short answer is yes, in some in some way. Um, but I'm trying to think. There's so many people that ran in 2016 on the Republican side. I don't know if we. <laughs> Right, you probably we never for everyone, but right, but for the, but the the, the bigger Rubio ones, yeah, we were, yeah, you know, and obviously, like that, that's also the function of why you need to have a strong party because the the purpose of the Democratic Party is to kind of running this on the Republican candidates and uh, where we could um, get information that was being shared with all campaigns on Republican candidates and stuff that they would also be putting out publicly that they would. To, to kind of help augment what, what we were doing um, internally on the campaign. Was the DNC sharing, because I know I, I know the DNC was doing books on all of the, most mm-hmm. of the Republicans, if not all of them. Did they share the, that research with you and Bernie Sanders' campaigns? Uh, n- not all of it, no. Yeah. Um, there were some pieces that went to everyone, and they, and they were pretty clear about, you know, the information that we have is going to be you know, it's gonna, it wasn't like they did anything specifically for our campaign or anything. Sure, it was for it was right. for everyone. Um, so, and I think that's what they're doing now too. If I would assume, I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure how how they're doing that now, but I'm assuming it's a very transparent process right. for anybody who's requesting the information that's publicly available or that they're providing. Yeah, you know, they can get. Um, so, Tony, you were involved, I know, in the debate process, mm-hmm. um, debate prep process. We're going to get into more of that in future episodes as we get closer to the debate, and we, we're going to invite some guests on who help lead the debate process. But because you were so intimately involved, can you talk a little bit about the work that goes into pro, you know putting together a debate prep book for a presidential candidate? I The debate prep process, to me, I always thought it's just like it's a mini campaign inside the larger campaign. It has all of the same components that the larger campaign is doing mostly, I would say, but definitely from the policy research and communications and the poll and the the polling, um, like the the paid media mm-hmm. type aspect, like the strategy, it's all all of those components are part of the debate process. So you are, First of all, trying to get your record on, you know, there's there's a set number, and I know you guys have talked to Ron Klain, and I worked with him in both mm-hmm. 2012 and 2016. I think he's 
like, like the best. The, he's, he's like the, the best debate the prep king. Exactly. Uh, and the thing that you do first is, okay, what are we expecting that we're going to be talking about? Like there could be a debate that you're specifically talking about an issue. So, you know, okay, we're going to just be like, looking what are, what at climate change. What are right. the moderators right. going to so ask? So trying to figure out what are the most likely questions that are going to come. So from that, trying to get your, what's your record on, on those issues? What are your opponent's records? Where do you differ? Just kind of like getting that on a map of like, okay, this is where we voted the same. Here's where we voted differently. Mm-hmm. So these are points of contrast. But then you also have to think about like, what is the campaign's goal out of this debate? Like, what are we trying to do? Mm-hmm. Like, are we in there to try to muddy up the front runner or muddy up a certain candidate? Are we there to try to really push our economic message? So trying to have that, uh, like the strategic goal up there. And then all of the material sort of flows from that, where you're actually like, doing mock questions and writing out responses you have an, you know, like someone that will stand in as your opponent um at least we you know we did that through all of the debates so that they the candidate can practice like the back and forth and see what works what doesn't what you know where do you feel more comfortable making the the case for you know that could be like okay if so in 2012 with president obama be like okay mitt romney could say this to you about the auto rescue or something. Mm-hmm. So you could respond one, two, or three, all of which are factual, so you all of which are true. And we try to figure, responses. yeah, and we try to figure out, you know, and, but ultimately the president decided like where he wanted to go or what he thought sure. was like the best, um, best way to respond. But it's just, but being in that room, like my, I thought my goal would to be like, you know, he's not just going to, he could say this, but he could also say this mm-hmm. or he could, because, you know, one of the things that you do before the debate is like you really pay attention to what your opponents are saying because they're like kind of giving they're they're testing out lines they're testing out uh, different uh, strategies they'll probably release a plan they'll probably like they'll probably try to do something in the days leading up to the debate to sort of help influence the debate sure. to be in a more favorable uh, space for them so just being really um, cognizant of, okay, there's different, there's a different sentence that, you know, this person was using now, like, where are they going with that? Like, what do we have to plan to to be ready for that? And how would we respond to that? Is there a way to counterpunch that can put, you know, put them on the on the defensive in a way um, that they might not be expecting? Um, so it's just a lot of game theory planning things out. But also, I mean, you never know what's going to happen. But I always thought, like, we want to make sure that anything that does happen, we've talked about. And for by and large, in all the debates I've been in, there hasn't been a huge surprise that we were just like, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yes>. mm-hmm. Good. <laughs> um, I want to go back to research just real quick. Is yeah. there, and just, I'm curious, is there a piece of opposition research that you're particularly proud of? <laughs> Everyone, <laughs> so question, they only, I, um, yes, but I, I try to, like, um what I want to how I want to respond to that question though is cuz I think people think about research as finding you know but a lot of people use like the $400 John Edwards haircut as an example of something like oh a gotcha that dominates the news cycle but honestly there's very few of that compared to just the, there's just a lot of grinding it out um, going through like thousands and thousands of pages of speeches of um, of legislative language and pulling out the relevant factors of that to build 
sort of the case to to show the you know to show the either the positive narrative or the negative narrative that um, that I think ultimately is what research is about and where how it actually moves a campaign and, and moves um, kind of the race in a way rather than. I think if people are just like, you need, like, what's the worst thing you can tell me about, you know, Marco Rubio? And it's like, okay, that might be great, but like, what is really going to get us is like, we're just going to really hit on this theme that he's not on your side or, you know, they, he wants to benefit the rich. At, Research at the, that falls under the umbrella narrative that you're trying to Yeah. Talk. And how many times can we like, sir, I mean, for, for example, in 2016, like there was, I, I, there wasn't a dearth of negative information on Donald Trump. Like, some would say that because there was so... You mean so his, the brass, the, br the ugly, tacky brass in his buildings wasn't considered to be negative <laughs> opposition? I'm just kidding. I don't, uh, <laughs> but, I'm, but, so, but it has to, like, kind of... Having all of that in a vacuum doesn't really mean anything unless you can sort of show what it means for people. So And figure out how to use it effectively. And how to use it effectively. So, for example, I think that, you know, just using what... I think it's still relevant now, even though it was in 2016. But what we're learning, uh, you know, we all knew from his business practices, like the way that the that Donald Trump did business was he would stiff his workers, that mm -hmm. he would find a way to en enrich himself at the expense of everyone else, that he would lie, that, you know, and he would inflate his numbers, that mm -hmm. he would um, just take out massive amounts of debt. And... You know, I think we made this case in 2016, but we actually have a record now in 2020 where this man has given tax breaks to the richest 1% in corporations at the expense of everyone else, where he's run up the, the debt, where he, he's basically run the country like he did his business, and that's not a good thing. Um, and I think where, like, research would be making that case, you know, we would be helping build that case and showing those examples, like... Um, you know how many times did he do X versus Y, and who benefited? Who benefited from this versus not? And what are, how are his statements not actually factual? So research is actually a very large component of, the, sort of the things that you see on on TV in, in that respect. Adrian mentioned it at the top, but the <clears throat> research department works with so many different aspects of the campaign, and I'm just I'm just curious about two mm -hmm. uh, that I'd love for you to talk about sure. maybe in a bit more detail. The first one is the media consulting team, mm -hmm. the folks who put together the advertisements. Right. How do you work with them? And then the pollsters. Uh, in your case, you guys had pollsters, uh, but mm -hmm. in most campaigns, it's one pollster. Um, I'm just curious, how does how does that how do you guys work alongside those um, those two um, components of the campaign? So for the poll the polling department. Especially in the beginning, you know, you're just trying to get kind of where's the race stand. Like, there's different types of polls that can be done. It can be like, you just want to get a horse race? Like, are we up or down? Mm -hmm. But versus kind of, we want to test, like, what are things that we know that are actually a problem? Or what, what are, are some the issues that are driving voters? Yeah. Or the problem what are, where, right. Where are candidate. people? Right. And, right. and what, if they hear different information about, your candidate or your opposing candidate, does that move them in, mm -hmm. in any way? And because, I mean, every campaign that I've worked on, you want those that information to be factual. Like, you know, it's the... Cause, because I think there there is a general conception that sometimes people just throw things at the wall and just see if it works, so let's just go with it, which, you, you know, I would argue that, you know, Donald Trump has sort of... Done that. Yeah, done a that. Lot. But um, everything that... 
everything that we said about him was backed up and, and cited and had some you know verification. Everything that we said about her, about Hillary Clinton was backed up with with verification. Mm-hmm. But it's also you know so we so we kind of find the information and so when we're working with the polling team it's like okay how much does any of this matter are people going to care about this or not you know so that's sort of how we work with them and so in the media team is actually working with the polling team and us too it's like okay well this is actually you know this accomplishment that was done like people really like that that actually makes people think more favorably of our candidates so we're going to run ads around this subject area where the content might be provided by the research department or we would help like if you're trying to find a person to kind of talk to the you know just direct to camera saying like you know because um candidate x passed this bill like i was able to get health care but so it's like trying to find that that person, trying to make sure that that person's okay to put on TV. You don't really want to put like someone in your ad that you're going to find out later. Like, oh well, they had like this, you know, murder conviction. Or I mean, like, that's like a like right. Them. That's a, mm-hmm. an extreme case. Um, it's only happened once. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but, Let's hope not. Uh, no, and so it they're they're very interchangeable well, not interchangeable like they obviously every person has a distinct role but we're very complementary towards one another and then tony i just have one final question for you that is sort of relevant to the current era that we're living in under donald trump's universe um which is this whole notion of fake news which of mm-hmm. course is being perpetuated by donald trump do you think the need to have a robust research operation on the campaign has been impacted by Donald Trump accusing everything that he doesn't agree with, any sort of coverage, any sort of attack, whatever it is, you know, on, on him by calling it fake news? Does that, you know, since we're kind of – since there there seems to be this, like, you know, to an extent, public confusion of what's fact and what's opinion um, – does this impact the role of a research organization? I think it puts more onus on the research department to make sure that they just really, at least for like, it's just the way that I approach the the position and the job. Like, you just need to have your facts down, mm-hmm. particularly for two reasons. One, I think it's just the right thing to do. Secondly, Donald Trump has shown that he will find the one you did not cross and to you know then you know get all the vapors and say this whole thing is you know just totally fake news because mm-hmm. you know you had the person's age wrong or something like that that that's in the story so that just that's why the the pressure is on but again this is going to be that that's why in research I like whenever we're presenting anything to the campaign writ large like I never I always think the best research is one that doesn't have your own voice in it Mm-hmm. You know, I never put anything in a document or try not to put anything in a document that has my opinion or my kind of spin on the ball because, you know, as you get through the campaign, it's ultimate. It's like the game of telephone. That, that So you always need to have research there to kind of make sure that there's a backstop, that there's not too much spin on the ball. But if you start with sort of like a, a kind of a leading document, it's going to end up being too far afield that you're, you know – that you run the risk of it being untrue. So you want to take your voice out of it and just kind of let the facts speak for themselves. Anything that people said about, you know, your candidate or whatever, you have the, the, you have the receipts, you can show the, you know, and I think in this age that we're in now with deep fakes 
and just fake news in general, just being able to go back and say, like, I mean, you're just going to have to prove yourself over and over and over again. Like, no, this is actually real. And some of it, though, is going to be how do you break through to people that might not that might be immune to the it's like, okay, well, that's fine that it's true. I'm just not going to believe it anyway. That, I think, is like a big challenge in, in this day and age. Like, how do you reach people that aren't necessarily, you know, that are, as James Carville says, like using uh, as the junk uh, as the drunk uses the lamppost, not for not for illumination, but just for support. Like they just want to kind of just their confirmation bias. They want to just have that totally and completely at every moment just verified. So that I think is like the the big challenge that that we have. And I don't think research is necessary. Research is a component to that, but it's also like how do you, where do you talk to people? How do you talk to people? Who are the people that you have talking? So it, may, it might not be your candidate that's the best person to go out there and deliver the message, but it could be a nurse. It could be, you know, a firefighter. It could be a police officer, like someone that has like trust in the communities that you're trying to reach to deliver that message to the, the people who you're trying to reach. Tony Kark. Thank you for joining us on The Electables today. Thank, Thank you very you, much. Tony. I feel so much smarter now oh, about stop. research. <laughs> <laughs> and I know at, at some point I'm going to get you to answer the question about what was your favorite album of Trump. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, t- Tony's being very nice trying and very to be respectful the, yeah, yeah. of his former bosses. Yeah. But at some point, yeah, We will get, get it out of him. We will. We will. Thank you so much, Tony, for joining us. Thanks. Elrod, thanks so much. Thank you. And uh, we'll see everyone next time.